0: Hey, everybody. This is Charles Hain. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of April tenth, 2020, coronavirus lockdown week four. I'm here with No Film School editor in chief, George Edelman. Hello. And writer, Michelle De La Tour.
1: Greetings, everybody.
0: We have one big headline this week, which is we have guest Zach Arnold on to talk just about how filmmakers should work with the CARES Act. A lot of great info in there. So that's our first story of the week. And then after that, we've got some tech news, because tech news is still coming. We've got our brand new, as yet unnamed, Deep Cuts segment. All of that this week on the No Film School Podcast. All right, so the first thing we're going to be talking about today, everybody, is the CARES Act, which is uh, a long acronym for Corona. Uh, It is the Coronavirus Relief Stimulus Bill. That got passed in Congress last week. And for the first time in history, it is a stimulus bill that is designed, at least in part, to have some relief for freelancers, gig workers, and small businesses. That is something that we didn't see in 2008 and previous stimuluses. And it's really exciting for filmmakers that it's finally being appreciated that, you know, when you're in small business this is a hard time for us as well, but there's a whole lot of questions we have. So we're actually going to be joined for this segment by Zach Arnold, who is a freelance editor, but also has done sort of a lot of research into this area and how the CARES Act is going to work. And uh, welcome, Zach. Uh,
2: Thank you. I'm very excited to be here today.
0: Awesome. Thank you for joining us. We're really excited to talk about this. So you know, when I first heard that there was going to be some help for gig workers. My first thought was, how is that even going to work? I mean, traditional unemployment, you have a W-2 paycheck. Uh, you're paying into the unemployment fund all of the time when that job is terminated. You know, you fill out your unemployment paperwork and um, then you collect on the unemployment. But it's a fund you've been paying into, um, which clearly this is something if you're a freelance employee, you haven't been paying into a fund, which is why the money is coming from the CARES Act. Um, but it's also freelance employees, you know, where our income is tracked in a dozen different ways. Many of us, we have W-2 income and 1099 income, you know, so it's it's a huge complicated thing. Can you tell us, um, can you give us sort of a brief summary of like what you've learned so far digging into the act and what some what some of the first things filmmakers might want to start thinking about and how they might work with it are?
2: Yes, I'm, I'm happy to, to dive deep into this. This has basically been my life for days and I don't wish this hell upon anybody. <laughs> having to read all these articles and go through these bills—it's just it there's so much information that as a, a film editor of 20 years, having sifted through hundreds and thousands of hours of raw footage, I'll take that all day long over going over all this financial stuff. So my the huge first disclaimer is that I'm just a guy that nerds out on this stuff. Um, I am a freelance editor. I'm not a you know a, a certified public accountant or a bookkeeper or anything else. But I have had extensive conversations with people to do those things to get a lot of clarifications. Because um, as you had a alluded to, I'm also diving into this topic for my uh, Optimize Yourself website and uh, podcast and program as well. Because a lot of people are reaching out to me right now, very, very scared and desperate, not knowing how they're going to be able to cover expenses or pay employees. And they're reaching out to me because uh, I apparently love to nerd out on this stuff. So um, I've, I've got a lot of potential answers. I don't have any certain answers. The, the other disclaimer I'll give is that nobody really knows for sure how all of this works, including the government entities themselves. This is moving so fast. This is such a rapidly moving target that nobody really knows the exact answers, but I'll provide the best guidance that I can. Um, what I've done is I've broken this down into basically four main sections that people need to pay attention to. And that criteria is based on whether or not they've only been a W-2 employee, whether they're a combination of W-2 and 1099, whether they're all 1099, maybe they are an S corp or a C-Corp or an LLC. There are a lot of, just that stuff alone is confusing in a normal world where things aren't going nuts. Just understanding those things can be really confusing. And applying that to all these various stimulus packages, it gets even harder to, to comprehend. But really, the first thing that everybody should know is that it doesn't matter whether you're a freelancer, W-2, whatever it is. The, the first government stimulus applies to everybody, has nothing to do with your employment status or otherwise. It has to do with whether or not you make a certain amount of money. So that's just the basic stimulus check that everybody talked about first, where you're essentially going to get $1,200 $1, per individual for $2,400 per uh, household if you make a certain amount of money or less. So the cutoff, is seventy-five thousand per individual, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars per couple, and then they gradually reduce that amount. Um, I'm not sure what the algorithm is, um, but they reduce that amount, and then once you hit um, one hundred ninety-eight thousand joints and I think hundred thousand individuals, then you get zero dollars for that original stimulus check. But you also, and this is irregardless or this is regardless of the uh, um, regardless of your income status, you get five hundred dollars per child.
3: I already have a quick question oh, about that real quick. Um, first off, I want yeah. to say, I'm grateful for, to you for doing this. I think a lot of people are. This is stuff that's hard for anyone to figure out under normal circumstances, all the ins and outs of the tax laws. So it's it's really mm-hmm. a huge deal to have taken the time to do it, to try and provide some guidance for freelancers and filmmakers, et cetera. Is it a
2: forward
3: that you're going to owe back in your 2021 taxes? I feel like I've read that or heard no. that.
2: Okay. This, this, this stimulus is free cash. Okay. It's just going to sit in your account. It has no bearing on whether or not you owe taxes on your 29 return on whether or not you're getting a refund. This is them just handing you cash. That's all this is. Um, like I said, it's based on specific criteria, um, but this is there, there is no catch as far as I understand it. Um, again, we're dealing with the, the U.S. government, and these are the people that also organize the postal service. So who knows <laughs> if any of this is going to work the way that it's supposed to. However. From everything I've read, this is free money that just lands in your bank account. I guess by the end of April, all the direct deposit people are supposed to have their money. If you don't do direct deposit, we're talking about months and months and months where they're going to send out like 5 million checks a week. And their plan is that everybody's supposed to get paid by September 11th.
3: As for the rest of it, the sort of there is a time-sensitive element when it comes to the small business association part?
2: Yeah, so the, the, the first part, there's really nothing you can even do about that. There's no phone calls to make. Don't ask about when your check is coming. Don't ask how much you're going to get. Just let it be and assume that it's going to show up someday, right? The next thing, this is what every single freelancer listening that gets any form of 1099 income, if you're an S-Corp, C-Corp, LLC, it doesn't matter. Seriously, as soon as I finish the following paragraph stop listening, and apply for the EIDL, also known as the SBA disaster loan. And when they say disaster loan, that's actually kind of a misnomer because what they're doing is they're giving away a $10,000 grant. So again, this is 100% free money. All you have to do is go to the SBA website and you apply. It takes about five minutes. It's actually a very simple application. You just need your EIN number or your social security number. And you need to know your gross receipts i believe it's for the previous 12 months up until uh like january 30th of 2019 the, the, all the criteria is there and in theory again i put theory in giant bold underlined letters in red and asterisk. in theory you're supposed to get that money like now in like days but they have a lot of backup applications and i guess even the sba uh, website crashed today like so it's, my expectation is that hopefully once again, in the magical land of someday, this is going to show up in my bank account. But for now, that's what everybody needs to do. And this, again, is just free money. The really funny thing about this grant is that when it first came out, they they called it a loan and they said that it would eventually be forgiven. And so many people were like, well, what are the criteria? How do I actually know it's going to be forgiven? And should I spend it or not? Two days later, maybe it was two, three, I don't know the exact timetable. They just changed the language on it and they just said, fine, it's just a grant. Like there's no criteria, here's $10,000 in your bank account. So that's what I tell everybody you need to do immediately if you get any 1099 income or you're an independent contractor in any way, shape, or form. They were calling in advance at one point and they had criteria for whether or not you were going to have to repay it. I think they just gave up on that, and they said, "Fine, ten thousand dollars. Here you go." They even <laughs> used the word "grant" right on the application.
1: Can I ask a clarifying question for folks that have only recently become an S corp or an LLC because of the newish laws? I assume you have to have made money already as a business to apply for this. You couldn't have just like if you're filling it out, you say, "Oh, I was a freelancer in twenty nineteen to twenty twenty, and then I became a business because of AB five or whatever changed." and I haven't made that much money yet. Do you apply as an independent freelancer or do you apply as a business, even though you haven't made any money as a business
2: yet? Oh, if you're applying for the grant, you don't even have to, um, I mean, I provided my EIN number, um, but they allow you to just provide a social security number. So my understanding is that if you've received any freelance income that you can apply for this.
1: Oh, so you don't have to have a LLC or S-Corps.
2: You, do, you, you can literally just have received 1099 income as yourself. No DBA, no fictitious business name, none of that business. Um, as long as you receive 1099 income, my understanding is that you can apply for the $10,000 grant, but it gets more complicated once you want to use the up to $2 million pool per person for the uh, EIDL loan.
3: $10,000 sounds like, I mean, again, it's like we don't know when it'll come, of course, if and when. But that doesn't sound like it's a difficult thing for an independent contractor to immediately apply for, correct?
2: No, no. You, when I say it takes five minutes, it literally takes less than five minutes. If you know your social security number and you know how much gross income you had for a certain period, and I believe it's for 2019, And you know your cost of goods sold if you have goods that you sell. For me, I don't have any because everything I do is um, online education and uh, services. So I don't have a cost of goods sold. So all I did was enter name, address, phone number, email, social security number, gross income, clicked a couple of buttons, and I was done. That's it. Mm -hmm. Five minutes worth of work for potentially $10,000 in your bank account.
1: You didn't need to provide any sort of statements?
2: no documentation, zero. Wow. I, I dove into what are the broad strokes that all freelancers need to know and in what order should you actually care? So like we already talked about, the stimulus, that's just going to show up. Um, the, the EIDL or the, the grant is the, the next stage. Um, but the other one that we haven't talked about and this one, there's going to be a lot more nuance to it, but you had alluded to this a little bit, which is the Paycheck Protection Program, right. which is a whole new level of absurdity on top of everything we've already talked about. The Paycheck protection program, which by the way, is like such a tongue twister to say out loud. Um, This is where it gets a little bit more complicated. So this one, there's so much nuance to it that I'm going to give an extra disclaimer and say that um, I'm not even totally sure I understand it yet. I'm hoping in the next 24 to 36 hours, I can wrap my head around it a little bit more than I do now. But basically, the paycheck protection program is not via the small business administration. This is the biggest point of confusion that so many people have, is when you apply for your $10,000 grant or your uh, economic disaster loan, that's directly from the Small Business Administration, which is obviously backed by the federal government. When you want to apply for the Paycheck Protection Program, you have to go through your bank, and it's guaranteed by the SBA. So for all the people that have businesses and have payroll and have employees, which is where this is going to apply, so this doesn't really apply to somebody that's a a solopreneur or an independent contractor that doesn't have employees. Um, So that's kind of the first eligibility criteria. Um, But if you do have payroll, and by the way, that means that if you're an S-Corp or a C-Corp and you regularly pay yourself payroll and you pay into the payroll system, then you're
0: eligible to cover your own payroll through PPP. That was my question.
2: So, that, so I'm looking into that right now as we speak, and I'm digging into the, the deeper nuances, and I'm going back and forth with both my accountant and my bookkeeper. The way that I do my books as an S-Corp is that I pay myself what are called shareholder distributions. So I basically just transfer cash money from my business checking account to my personal checking account. And then at the end of the year, my accountant and my bookkeeper figure out, What's a rough amount that should be considered my payroll or my salary for the year? And there are all kinds of regulations and limits to what you can or can't pay yourself based on distributions, based on gross income. So it's it's kind of a a moving target and an arbitrary number that you can choose based on your gross. But I just basically, you know, take care of that once a year when I do my taxes. But I'm not literally paying into the system every single month as payroll, per se, which I think is the way that most S-Corp people do it when they're solopreneurs. My understanding is, and I don't understand this yet, and I'm still digging into it, that because I don't pay myself monthly, my bookkeeper says she doesn't think that I can apply for the payroll protection plan, but my accountant does. So we're all, as we speak, still trying to figure this out, but it's worth uh, people looking into if they have an entity and they do pay themselves payroll. So these are all the ones that apply for people that are looking for business loans or these grants or the stimulus. But unemployment is where everybody is confused and trying to figure out what to do, especially if they're freelancers, because the, the government has now dangled the carrot. Oh, by the way, if you're a freelancer, you're eligible for unemployment, just like regular employees. So this opened a giant floodgate of people that are saying, wait a second, now I can apply. Awesome. I'm going to apply. And I don't know how it is in every single state, because obviously unemployment is a state-based thing and not a federal government thing. But in most states, after they said freelancers could apply, specifically in California, you go to the website, and it's not set up to take any of those questions or that documentation. So as of recording this, you can't actually apply for California unemployment. I believe you can in New York and a couple of other big states. But in California, the questionnaire is still only based on W-2 income and your previous employers. But... The point is that you should be able to apply for unemployment benefits as an independent contractor once they kind of get their, you know, what together, um, and the the benefits are fairly substantial. And that, assuming again, all this comes through, and you know, I'm not a, a big truster of the the government bureaucratic process, but assuming that all this works the way that it's supposed to, you will not only get the maximum amount of benefits if you qualify based on your income as a freelancer, you also get an additional. every week for, I believe, the next three months. So again, totally worth the time to look into it because that hourly rate for spending the time on the phone, being on hold and dealing with people is a heck of a lot more than you're probably making as a filmmaker, assuming all of this goes through. That's that's why we've gone from like the record being 700,000 people that applied for unemployment uh, at the end of uh, the first week of October in 1982. We've had over 10 million people that have applied in the last two weeks.
1: Is there anything that... Can you apply for everything?
2: Um, This is something that I've looked into because I'm I'm always trying to to find uh, every possible angle and get the most out of every situation. And the answer is, first of all, everybody gets the stimulus. That doesn't negate you from getting anything. Anybody can get the grant based on qualifying the way we've already talked about work or independent contractor or S Corp you know, sole proprietor, all that stuff. You can apply for both the grant and the Paycheck Protection Program. What you can't double or triple dip on is the uh, Paycheck Protection Program and unemployment. Yeah. So let's say that you are a, a freelancer, which I'm assuming most people listening are, and you have an S-corp and you want to pay yourself using the, the PPP loan to cover your payroll. You can't also go on unemployment. Those two I know are mutually exclusive. To my understanding, everything else you can apply for.
3: There is uh, just a wealth of um, information here, and we're probably going to have you come back or at least talk to you again about this, because as you mentioned and as we say in our post, this situation keeps changing. But for now, um, if there's anything you want to plug or let everybody know about as far as resources you continue to provide.
2: So the, the resource that I can best provide, first of all, Um, Everything that we're talking about here today, I'm going to have bullet points, details, links, like all the resources that we've already discussed is going to be in a post. Um, But the other thing that I put together, which is kind of a supplement to the conversation we're having, is all we're talking about right now is how do I generate some form of income because I can't work? Because in the filmmaking world, if there's no shooting, there's no work. And like the, the filmmaking unemployment rate is like 95 plus percent right now. So nobody's working. So we're talking about how do I generate income? But what I've also done is i helps people figure out a much clearer picture of what is your true financial situation look like and what are your options for trimming your expenses. So if anybody wants to basically have a step-by-step process to better organize their finances, have suggestions for how to trim expenses, I've even provided a, a Google Sheet template where it's basically plug and play. They so can just go to my website, go to optimizeyourself.me slash budgeting, free template, all kinds of resources to help you not only generate more income, but also trim and mercilessly slash your expenses to be able to get through this and give yourself as much runway as possible until production ramps up again.
0: Awesome. And then wh- where can we find out more about you? You have a website of your own, right?
2: I do, correct. Uh, not as, a, as an editor, but the, the website that I have is optimizeyourself.me. Um, and basically what I focus on is helping people in the filmmaking industry, mostly in post-production, but I do also work with other writers and other various creative professionals that are just looking to find a way to be healthier, more productive, advance
0: their careers, and do all of the following without completely losing their mind and burning out in the process. Thank you so much for coming out. Yes, this has been yeah, amazing. you bet. I'm so happy to be here. Okay, up next in tech news... We have a particularly interesting bit of tech news. So um, one of the most popular cameras out there is the Blackmagic um, Pocket Cinema 4K 6K, right? Very. The, the reason why the camera gets called that, it's a very long, uncomfortable name, but the 4K and 6K have a lot of similarities in body style. They have different sensors, different sensor sizes, different lens mounts, but the back half of the camera is very similar. So you will often see it abbreviated like the BMPCC 4K slash 6K. And uh, it's one of those cameras that's just sort of like, you know, I, I'm regularly talking to people out in the field and, you know, I'm talking to vendors and they're like, we can't keep them on the shelves. And I'm talking to other people who are like, oh, that place is only in business because they've got a good deal on the, that camera and they're selling lots of them. And like, it's very popular. But what's interesting about that is I reviewed it. And while I was impressed with a bunch of things, I was sort of frustrated by a couple little things that bugged me enough that I wasn't like, it wasn't a rave review. Now, obviously it's a $1,500 camera, the 4K is that shoots raw 4K. That's amazing. But one of my frustrations with it is that, you know, in that price point, in that sort of body style, you're really sort of doing the one mule team kind of shooting. And the screen wasn't a flip screen. You couldn't flip it up. You couldn't flip it down. It made it really sort of like an unflexible and comfortable camera to work with, where pretty much every other camera I work with these days and for the last 10 years, you can flip the screen around all directions. And what's interesting is, you know, I think the last revision of the camera is at least a year old. The 6K came out about a year ago and usually accessories all come out in sort of a wave when the camera first comes out. So it's really interesting to me that like a year after the 6K, 2 years after the 4K, Tilta, who's a big accessory maker, they make a lot of stuff. They make camera cages that everybody loves. They make a whole host of other things, but their camera cages, and they make stabilizers and they make a bunch of other stuff, but their camera cages are the thing I think they're most famous for. Have come out with a modification kit for the Blackmagic 4K 6K that gives it a tilt screen. It takes the original screen off the camera, adds a tilt mount to it. Now you can flip it up, you can flip it back for selfie mode, you can flip it around. And you're like, oh my God, this is a great modification. This is like brilliant. This is so brilliant it should have been built into the camera. And then they took it one step further. They built in a little module that has like a little 180 degree bend in the USB-C port and can add an SSD mag or an NVMe mag underneath where the old monitor went. So it, like, takes advantage of an empty space it discovered once it created this flip-out screen. And so now you can have a flip-out screen and internal either SSD or NVMe. And so it's like, that's the tech news, is that Tilta is continuing to sort of innovate and improve on a camera that is, you know, I mean, two years. the If you have a Blackmagic Pocket 4K, I'm sure you still love it. And it's a great camera. But it's a two-year-old camera at this point. It's not really... In the digital media era, a two-year-old camera usually is not getting, like, really radical, fascinating accessories.
3: People love that camera. But I feel like this has been a a consistent complaint about this camera, right?
0: It is, like, the biggest complaint. That, how physically wide it is, can make it weird in some gimbals. Like, you have to buy an adapter plate to use the Ronin-S, although the Moza will fit it and the lack of internal image stabilization are like the three big flaws. But I think it really speaks to how much people love it, that they're still making, like, Tilta was like, you know, people love this so much, we're still gonna make accessories for it because they just love this camera so much. Whereas there's a whole bunch of other cameras that came out two years ago that are not getting any accessories from Tilta.
1: Are they interchangeable, the Tilta mounts? Like if you bought one for the Blackmagic 4K, it would work for the 6K?
0: You have to send it in. It's not a f- so it is field serviceable, but they recommend you send it in to do the service. So if you live in North America, you should probably send it to the Burbank um, Tilta office to do it. It is field serviceable, but there's a note in their FAQ which I loved. the The FAQ had a question: If I got halfway through it and I couldn't finish, can I send it to you to finish? And they say no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. I think it's a popular camera unless you bought it in that period of time between January and April of 2019, where it was back ordered. And then Blackmagic came out with the 6K pocket camera while you were still waiting to get your order.
0: I would not be surprised if there was like an RF mount Blackmagic Pocket 4K coming, 8K coming uh, at yes. the end of the month. Blackmagic just had their had the first of what I'm assuming is going to be a whole bunch of press things a week ago that was all of their live event stuff. Darren did an article about it. It wasn't really, it didn't make tech news for me this week because it wasn't really as interesting, but it also feels like they're going to do three or four of those to make up for the lack of NAB. And I I know Blackmagic, they they don't wait. They keep going. I I would not be shocked if there was like an L-mount 8K coming.
1: That would be cool. But hopefully
0: the flip out screen would work for it. Yeah. Fingers crossed. All right. And then our next segment, which we still have not named from Twitter, (laughs) but let's go ahead and dive into it. Quibi is here.
1: Yes. Quibi is here.
0: Quibi, if you don't know what it is, then Jeffrey Katzenberg has wasted his money because Jeffrey Katzenberg (laughs) has spent... Well, Jeffrey Katzenberg has spent so much money marketing this for the last six months. It's an app for your phone. It is only available for your phone. And it has quick bites of content, 10 minutes or less. So it's either a movie broken up into 10-minute segments or it's a 10-minute TV show. Uh, You know, they're doing two 10-minute news episodes every day. So like one in the morning and one in the afternoon doing like 10-minute recaps of every day's news, which is going to be an intense like process to keep going. And, um, but they're also doing daily meditation shows and, uh, Ron Funches, everybody loves Ron Funches is going to have a game show and all sorts of stuff like that. 10 minute limits. And it's all designed to be viewed either vertically or horizontally. So as you turn your phone vertically or horizontally, it automatically reframes and it's different frames. It's not punching into one or the other. They mastered it in 169. 69. They master it in 9.16 and both are streamed to you in real time and it switches back and forth between the streams. The big deal with Quibi launching is since we're all in lockdown, there was a lot of debate about whether they, they announced their April 6th launch like six months ago. Yeah, There was a lot of debate about whether or not they should push and Quibi was really designed as a, I'm waiting in line at the coffee shop. I'm on my commute. Quick bites of content. Right. And it's been an interesting choice. And what's interesting to me Is I've been waiting for, you know, because I remember when Disney Plus launched, my social media filled up with Mandalorian stuff. And um, my social media has been dominated by Tiger King lately. Apple TV has yet to have any show break into my social media. Dickinson a little bit. And I haven't seen anything on my socials on Quibi. Like no Twitter, no Instagram, no Facebook. Like I
3: guarantee you a lot of people in our audience know about it because it's kind of our business to know about it or be aware of it in our world and community. But outside of this community, I think what it's a testament to is how much has changed in terms of cutting through the noise. Like we see things cut through the noise, like Tiger King, because of the content within it, and the way that people are responding to it, or Mandalorian, for example. But a lot of things just come and go so fast in such rapid fire. And there's always so much to absorb that something like this, if it doesn't have, like you're describing, that sort of breakout piece or element, I, you know, like I I could just see like until that thing comes along, how does it stand apart?
1: I would be interested in seeing the Venn diagrams of age, TikTok users, and Quibi. I think one of the reasons that potentially some folks are not interested in watching things on like their phone is that they might have it. tv in their house or during this time they're actually more interested in watching things on a larger screen than a smaller screen but i think there's a younger generation of folks for which the opposite might be true very and, true and so and i don't know if quibi is actually designed for that age group i'm not 100 sure
0: no it absolutely is but i also i just okay so we have to talk about this quibi has a show devoted to pasta shapes it's called Shape of Pasta. I got to watch some episodes <laughs> at the Quibi Party in January. Oh my gosh. And it's it's nothing else. It is not about ingredients. It's not about like wheat pasta versus durum pasta versus, you know, spinach pasta. It is literally just one episode about each kind of shape. Like those elephant ear shapes, those elbow shapes. Like that's all it is. And like it's almost i'm stealing this joke from someone on twitter it's almost like a bojack horseman fake tv show it's like (laughs) shape of pasta like what if we had a tv show that you know mr peanut butter hosted that was just his favorite shapes of food (laughs) and it's like someone else on twitter made that joke before me
3: it'll be curious to see where it goes and what happens obviously there's an appetite for short super short content on phones we know that it's just like is this how it's gonna is this gonna capitalize on that? I'm dubious, but we'll see. We've introduced Quibi in this, uh, this version of our uh, deep cuts, and we will make sure that in future segments like this, we reach from not just movies and television, but from all kinds of platforms where content exists.
1: So these are the shortcut deep cuts. So I have a quick bite and it is a video that has been going around about a stop motion ski movie and is fantastic the filmmaker's name is Philip Klein K L E I N and this film is called free ride free ride skiing at home and it is great we'll see if we can put a link to it in the post for this This was someone, I believe, who had a ski trip planned and then couldn't go for obvious reasons, but instead made one at his house (laughs) out of everyday objects and skis and a GoPro. It is well worth viewing. It's a short, happy... I mean, it just filled me with joy to see someone invest in their creativity and time in this way, in this time. So thank you, Philip.
3: It's cool to have something mentioned that's not, you know, some beloved old movie or TV show. That's great. I love it. Charles, do you have any?
0: I'm going to do a beloved old movie. I'm going to drop, because I did. we did two black and white last time, I'm going to drop a movie in color. Uh, it is a movie called Wanda, directed by Barbara Loden. It's the only movie Barbara Loden directed. It's really good. My wife and I saw it a couple of years ago, I think at Film Forum or The Metrograph or one of those movies. It was like, you know, it it is a, um, Barbara Loden was an actress. She had some small roles. She felt very frustrated with the roles that she was, Being sort of typecast as being. She's sort of a, um, you know, she's like a beautiful blonde woman. And she was, and she felt like sort of limited in the sort of bombshell part she was getting. So she sort of wrote and semi improvised Wanda, which won the International Critics Prize at the 1970 Venice Film Festival. And it is like, it's, you know, it's this amazing movie. She stars in it. And, uh, you know, a woman who drifts into a bank robbery in small small town coal country Pennsylvania there's a lot of like beautiful imagery there's a lot of you know um she gives sort of this amazing performance and I totally think everybody who hasn't seen Wanda or heard even of Wanda I would totally recommend taking a look
3: cool I haven't so I will um I'm gonna go with the one that's not I don't consider it a deep cut at all, but I just feel like given this, this current circumstance, this is just a must watch or a must rewatch. It almost belongs more in like a rewatchables kind of thing. Groundhog Day. It is streaming. It's available. If you're, if for whatever reason you haven't seen this movie, I think it's like, it's one of, I think it's, it's beloved by many, but I still think it's underrated. I just think it's like as good as it gets, movie-wise. Not the movie as good as it gets. It's just so well done, so funny. Bill Murray is amazing at his pinnacle. It's Harold Ramis uh, who directed it, and it don't be misled by the fact that it's an early 90s comedy, kind of high-key. Like, it's not moody, it's not arty, but it's so deeply philosophical and and it it gets it such big questions about existence and good versus evil and meaning of life stuff and it's uh it's a parable it's it's epic it's a beautiful movie it's it's perfect i love it so go see that movie if you haven't and see it again if you have because we're all sitting here doing the same thing every day right so it just feels like the right movie for this time
0: george i think that was the perfect way to wrap up the episode that was great um, as always, you can find me on the Instagram at Charles Zane, on the Twitter at Charles Zane.
1: This is Michelle Delatorre. I'm coming to you from the closet in the Bay Area. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, M Tour, M-D-E-L-A-T-E-U-R. Thank you for sharing all of your thoughts and your work with us, and we look forward to talking with you guys again
3: soon. And this is George Adelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School. Um, you can find Stories about all of this and more at NoFilmSchool.com. Let us know if you know anything, if you receive any money, if you learn anything about this. And please send all your questions about it to us, editor at NoFilmSchool.com or ask at NoFilmSchool.com. Send any questions at all or comments. Um, Rate, comment, like the podcast. And thanks so much for listening. And we'll have more for you soon.